comes down to. This is music. This is mayhem. This is a high-voltage rock and roll podcast especially for you. Don't think because you haven't heard of us that we didn't exist. We've been here all along like a spirit roaming the night, seldom stopping to rest. Our path has been marked by the bolted skull and bones, smashed guitars, and starred stages across the world. Welcome to the full-on church of rock and roll. This is only the beginning. I, I just like a morning zoo thing. You know what I mean? Well, then like, they yeah. shouldn't be here. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, no, I mean it, it can be fucking annoying. Just everyone sometimes. like, Rah! yeah. Are you talking about me? Crazy. No, <laughs> I'm just saying. Like some people say, hey, please don't joke around, because they just don't want it to be like, I don't know. I get it. Yeah. And then David's all bee boop. I mean, <laughs> just exactly. tell me to leave. I guess. <laughs> well. Good morning, Keila. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the zoo. Oh, is it going? Yeah. There it is. We are ready. So today we have who? Drew Fortune is our guest today, right? Yes. Drew Fortune is an author, and he wrote the book, what? No Encore. Yeah. I don't know. We're waiting for him to call in. So in the meantime, Keelan, you want to tell us about some hot sauce, Mama? Ooh. Talking about the Devil's Crown Bloody Mary mix? Yes. Not hot sauce. It is a (laughs) premium (laughs) Bloody Mary mix (laughs) by our friends... Chad Stewart, who created the recipe, and everyone involved in that world. And there you go. There's Drew Fortune. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, what's up? It's Drew. Hey, Drew. This is Tim, and we have Keelan, Ike, and Damien with me. What's going on? Hello. Hey. Hey, nice to meet nice to meet everyone. Hold on one sec. Cool. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you, man. We got you. So right. we're well, in the we're in the middle of a quick little um, sponsorship thing here. So Keelan, go ahead with Devils. I think I said everything I said. It's great. All right, yeah, spicy. <laughs> it's Very Bloody spicy. Mary mix, uh, Drew, that we deal with over here. It's, it was uh, um, created by the drummer of Faster Pussycat. Oh, really? Yeah. Very cool. So, how you been, man? Everything good? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it took so long to finally get this going. Like, I'm still getting over this flu that I've had for like. Ten days now. <laughs> Jeez, have you, have you been tested for the other? Yeah, well, yeah, I did. Um, at first, I was getting nervous because like my chest was hurting, but no, it's just the flu, which is uh, still sucks. Just, yeah, it uh, sucks, but that's good news. <laughs> still, yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, I know. I'm so paranoid now. It's like, oh god. If I stub my toe, I want to go get tested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I I vomited and shit my pants, but that's a good sign. That's <laughs> yeah. a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> Anything but cool. Exactly. Yeah. So you wrote the book uh, No Encore, which is about uh, musicians and in what, as the book says, weirdest and wildest, most embarrassing gigs. And it's a fascinating topic for us. We all come from the music industry and we've all been around certain acts. We've all seen stuff go down. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, by trade, you're, you're a writer. You write for like Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone. What led you to start and want to write your own book? Um, I think it was always the dream that I had, um, growing up, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you start to 
you know, kind of learn your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, basically, writing was like the only thing that was like demonstrably uh, I could show people. It's like, oh, hey, I'm good at this, but like math, history, no, I sucked at everything else. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just always kind of thought that if I'm going to do anything, I should probably do something with writing. And um, I waited a while. Like, um, it's just, I don't know, it seemed like uh, such a mountain yeah. to climb, you know, when you first start thinking about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it really, uh, it really, I started working on it in, um, I guess it was 2012. Um, I was, uh, I went fishing with uh, Dean Ween, the guitarist for the band Ween, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were, we, you know, we were buddies at that point. Um, and, you know, we're just making fishing talk. And I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, he was like, you know, I don't remember my best gig at all. I'm like, well, what about your worst gig? And he's like, oh, dude, boom. And he just launched <laughs> into the story. Um, so, yeah. And then I think I was originally, <clears throat> well, I toyed with the notion of calling it Rain or Shine. And it was going to be uh, an artist and then their best and worst gig. Um Cause I don't know. I was like, uh, I'm like, Oh, maybe that'd be too dark if it's just the worst, you know? Yeah. Um, but I learned early on that, uh, yeah, it was true. Like no one had a really good or a really good story to go with their best gig. <clears throat> it was always something like, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, Oh, my mom was there and, uh, you know, my dad showed up or my brother showed up and he had just gotten engaged. Um, so they were all really, you know, sweet, you know, pleasant stories, but nothing really that you would want to read about or why you watched like Motley Crue behind the music a million times on cable, you know? Um, so, but then when I would ask about the bad gigs, like everyone had numerous stories. Um, so it just, uh, it became no encore. And once I cut out the, the best gigs, it just, um, started going really smoothly. So, I mean, it's such a diverse group of artists that you have on there. You know, you mentioned Ween, obviously. Now we know that, that you're friends with Dean, so that, that helps that. Mm -hmm. But, you, I mean, you have the Stooges, and then you have Wyclef Jean and Los Lobos, and there's so many different things in there. Were these all firsthand accounts given to you, or, or did you grab stories from other places? No, these were all original interviews that I conducted. <clears throat> um, so... Yeah, I mean, I like I have to go with the behind the music, um, like thing. I don't know how old are you guys roughly? Old enough, <laughs> old enough to party. Okay. <laughs> we know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, so I realized, like, oh shit, that's like a dated reference now. But I mean, I I grew up on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. It was always it was always the craziest episodes that you know I loved and would rewatch, obviously. Um, and here's another thing that supports my. Uh, the bad gigs theory. I swear they did a Huey Lewis in the news episode of behind the music. And, um, I think they only aired it once because there was literally no conflict in that guy's story. <laughs> yeah. Just like, yeah. You know, it just it happened. It blew up. Everything was pretty cool. There's only one. <laughs> drug. He's like, Oh yeah. I think I, someone dosed me with acid in San Francisco once, but that's like his only drug story. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's you know, it's just, there's not much to it. Um, where was I? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so how I came up with, um, 
the band, uh, I mean, I went to like, I didn't, well, I was going to say, I didn't want to do behind the music bands that like the hair metal stuff we've all heard a million times, you know? Yeah. Um, like there's, I don't know how many books on Guns N' Roses and I don't know, Slash has probably told those stories so many times. So I kind of went for um, the music that I grew up with, uh, 90s alternative. Um, so that's why I like Soul Asylum's in there, um, you know, like Ministry, <clears throat> Ween, obviously, White Zombie. Um, but, you know, I did, and then it just became a matter of like, who would say yes, honestly, because, I mean, shit, I, I reached out to the, the tops, like, you know, Madonna, U2, Foo Fighters, um, you know, and none of them, none of them came through, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's like, I reached out to Tony Bennett at one point. I mean, I was really throwing curveballs to see, you know, just, just give it a shot. And, you know, that resulted in a few that just didn't make the book. Um, and I always feel bad to those artists who gave me their time, but, you know, sometimes I took a shot not knowing if they had any crazy stories and, yeah, they just really didn't. So there were a few Huey Lewis's in there that didn't make the final cut, obviously. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, though. That I mean, do you have a career in music at all or in the music industry, or did you just you know, just shot in the dark and reach out to people? Oh, well, I mean, I've been doing um, music journalism since 2006, okay. roughly. <clears throat> so I pretty much <clears throat> I pretty much know most of the most of the major publicists in the game. Um but when you're doing a book, you know, um, a, like a lot of it came down to the artists were already working on a memoir, for for instance. Yeah. Um, like Debbie Harry and uh, Patty Smith, I remember, it was all like, oh, this sounds great, but I'm working on, on my own thing. Um, Tom Verlaine of television was working on his own deal. So it was sort of a matter of that, too, just catching artists um, not on an album cycle, because I didn't want to be like, you know, uh, hey, let's set something up with Spin for to talk about your new record, and then say, oh, by the way, uh, well, what's your worst gig? You know, yeah, like right. that just seems, just work it in. That would just seem right. right, exactly, just disingenuous. So, I mean, that was really the tricky part to catch someone on an off cycle willing to give, you know, thirty minutes, thirty to forty minutes, basically, uh, ended up being a solid chapter. You know. It's funny because when I grew up, like I grew up watching the rock gods, like I would go see Queen and, and all of that kind of shit. And then, you know, from my years. On wait, wait, wait. Are you like a 70s, like a 70s kid? Yeah, yeah. Take it easy. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. But, no. but you would see all you would see all these bands and stuff. And then when you go on tour yourself, you, you, you know, they were gods at the time. But you realize when they pulled into a town like Freddie Mercury, the first thing he just needed somewhere to take a shit. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the same <laughs> right. for everybody. You know what I mean? Book about that. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying it is the same for everyone. <laughs> Cause when I was reading Drew's book, um, I actually read it when I was in the hospital. Um, when you're reading that, you're like, oh. oh shit, this all makes sense because you know, this everyone's day on tour is basically the same, you know, even as high up as you get, yeah. you could be Stevie Nicks demanding your, your rooms painted pink when you get there. But you still got to find a clean place to shit at some point. And that's, that's true. And that's, that's touring. True. And you got to worry about catering and, and all of that stuff. So sounds like you got a book going. Yep. <laughs> just, yeah, just chapter right one. But everyone the good, needs to the, shit. The good thing about your book is 
Man, it just it's such a great pace when you're reading no, you it. Call it number two. Yeah, number two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> shoot the shit. Yeah, shoot the shit. <laughs> Sorry. But it but it just keeps like the rhythm of the book is really it's it's really well done. And I don't know if, if you were conscious about that, but it just it it just keeps moving. You you really can't put it down. Oh, cool, man. Well, thank you for that. Um yeah, and again, like I was thinking in terms of brevity and there's I think it's like a legit industry term, a bathroom book. <laughs> um, something you go in, you read the chapter and then, you know, uh, I wanted to make it, yeah, or like a beach book, you know, again, yeah. in the summer, I'm like, um, I just wanted something kind of fun and not, um, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted it to feel kind of like a mixtape where it's like, oh, uh, if you didn't like, if you didn't like this artist or weren't interested in that chapter, no big deal. Move on, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, that's a great way to put a mixtape and, uh, yeah, yeah. Physical I'm, mixtape. I'm dating myself further a tape who makes mixtapes anymore um what's a tape no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a spectrum we're dealing with <laughs> yeah i don't know right. keelan yeah. for you i mean have you ever heard any stories of, of artists on the road i mean danny's fallen off the stage yeah that's the first one that comes to mind he got a cameo out Ooh. of it <laughs> yeah it's all that like he said like all those 80s guys they have the same stories getting fucked up or whatever on the road and falling on stage so the stories i've heard are the same old school and so that's why i liked drew's book because not only like he just said if you don't like or if you don't know a certain artists you can start with artists you do recognize get familiar with their stories and realize oh this book you know got some stories i didn't know about and then you can go like well it's only like two pages an artist or you know two to four pages like let me just see what this other artist like if it was all streamlined i think people would be more um you know less likely to want to read the whole not it, you know, for people with like low attention span today, you know, it's perfect because you can just be like, what chapter right. do I want to go to? Oh, that one looks cool. And then I killed that one and it was great. Now let me read the next one. And next thing you know, you read the whole book because every story is awesome and it's easy to read and you're not dedicated to, um, you know, oh, I'm only a quarter through the book right now type of situation. Yeah, I mean, that's a great yeah. point because like with a, I mean, if you read like a Dave Marsh book, man, like you really just got to pay attention because he's trying to like fool you with his big words trying to describe you know keith moon but this is it's just so great it just really just gets to the point and like like keelan just said man you can bounce around and there's people i could give a shit about but their stories are great you know what i mean right. so I, yeah I well thanks i was um, i was the, oh go ahead you sorry oh uh, well i was just gonna say like i really tried to be conscious of trying to get i mean most genres in there you know yeah. like i didn't like I think I was like three-fourths of the way done. I'm like, oh, shit, man. I haven't done any country artists. <laughs> and, like, it's just like I don't really listen to country in my in my daily life. And, uh, yeah, that was, you know, uh, I just didn't want anyone to feel like, oh, where, where's my genre, man? You, you didn't talk about industrial music from the 90s. Like, yes, I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the list of artists, it almost looks like a major, like, festival lineup or something, like, because you did include, like, so many different genres across the – all the stories. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, when we were talking about the, the book design, that's exactly what we said. We're like, oh, yeah, let's make it like look like a festival bill. And then we went with like yeah. the Coachella sort of like burnt Sienna. Yeah. Type. Yeah, I didn't want to say Coachella, but yeah, that's kind of what it brought, brought to mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Coachella. <laughs> and it's funny because you have like the go-go's like touring, touring with females in the past. There's no one grosser on the road than females, man. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's true. Like it, it's like, you ever go to a, a woman's like shoe store or like at a Macy's, the women's <laughs> department, the shoes are strewn all over. 
You know what I mean? But a men's is they're all put away. That's how women are on tour. No offense, ladies. I love wow. you all. But I've, I've worked with so many women take. Uh, on tour, and they're disgusting. It's gross. That's funny. <laughs> so more of those Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I'm sorry. Hey, can you just fill me in? Like, what, what, did you, what do you guys all do in, in music? I wasn't. Um, we've all, we've all, you know, been in bands. We, some of us have worked at record labels. Some of us manage bands. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe just one. Well, okay, yeah, but there is a history on the on you know people in, on this podcast that we we've all been from the music industry. So, yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. So, cool. so how do you get into writing? Like, what what's your story, your upbringing, and all that? <clears throat> um, grew, uh, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, it's funny because. Um, if you don't like football or, uh, well, basically if you don't care about sports, like I didn't, or I, yeah, I didn't, I don't know. I just wasn't that athletic. I'm like, I'm five, nine. Like, what am I going to do? You know, um, <laughs> you're looked at like, can I swear on here? I don't know. Yeah, if I can of course. Swear on this show. Yeah. You're looked at like a fucking weirdo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah please. Um, so yeah, man, I always felt like a bit of an outcast growing up there. Um, like I was always making movies. Like, you know, my friends wanted to go play basketball. I'm like, dude, let's just make a movie in the basement or the backyard. Like, <laughs> that was just always where my head was at. Um, and then, like I said, I mean, writing was sort of like all that I really had a natural gift at. Um, and then I didn't really do much with it for a while. Um, I went to DePaul um, for uh, for college, DePaul in Chicago, in Chicago yeah. and uh, just kind of bummed around like the scene for a while, like working at a record store, like typical post-collegiate slacker thing. Um, and like, yeah, typical like me, I never tried to write for the school newspaper or publish anything. Actually, I was, I don't know, I drank and smoked and partied way too much <laughs> up until like age 25. <laughs> but when uh, I did first publish something, um, oh man, like it was, it was better than any high I'd ever had. Just seeing oh, my nice. byline it was like, yes, this was, you know, it was, again, just felt like something I could never do, but I just kind of went for it with uh, this art magazine in Chicago called uh, Stop Smiling. Um, and then, you know, did a bunch of local stuff around there, moved to LA, started like, freelancing for the LA weekly that led to the AB club of the onion. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then it's, you know, it's basically just every step led to something greater essentially. Um, I mean, I always wanted to write for Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone. And then when I checked out those boxes, it was like, Oh shit, everything else is kind of gravy. Now let's just see if we can still try and make a living at it because it's, it's not easy, man. And you're not, no one's getting rich writing a book unless you're Stephen King or an established name, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think nowadays, even in music, no one's, very few people are getting rich playing music. Now it's just creating for creating, you know, for creative yeah, purposes itself. Yeah, Which is, to me, the way it should be anyway, you know? I mean, I know right. everyone has to pay the bills, but yeah, it's funny you say that about Omaha. I remember being there. I'll, I will say the name of this artist. I was there with Rob Zombie and crew back in like 2001, probably. And Oh, cool played the the basketball arena there but 
I remember after the show, like anytime we would try to go into a restaurant or a pizzeria, they would literally shut the doors on us. It was weird. It was so, <laughs> so backwards. You know what I mean? And I know like yeah. Riggs was still covered in blood from the show and stuff, <laughs> but it was still like everyone knew that there was a big show. Like you would have to assume that people were going to be around, but they were shutting the doors on us, <laughs> which was odd. That's funny. And then, because when I grew up, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, I moved to uh, outside Chicago in 95. But um, I don't remember uh, any sort of scene going on in Omaha at all. No, like I was surprised when that date I mean, popped up, actually. Yeah, yeah. And then, but, like, right after I left, Connor Oberst, you guys know him, like, Bright Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like, he, he started, well, they started Saddle Creek Records, and all of a sudden there was, like, an emo thing happening that I just missed, you know? For but better or worse. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it was just weird. It's like, oh, wait, I grew up playing soccer with Connor. It's like, he's, like, some emo, like, god now? What? Yeah, Little right. Connor? D- did he cry when he lost in soccer? Oh, dude, he was. Oh, I probably shouldn't. Say that. <laughs> uh, I don't get you in trouble. I'll get in trouble. People never forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, man. Uh, like he was like I think. Yeah, he was a grade older than me, but he lived in our neighborhood. We would go in his backyard and play soccer. But yeah, I just remember him being very moody. Okay. And, like <laughs> there you go. <laughs> even at like age eleven or twelve, like <laughs> he would pick up the ball and go inside and like just go in the basement and start fucking around on a guitar um but that was cool i remember him playing some like very early stuff for us okay um yeah but anyway that's i don't really love connor so anyway <laughs> and then when you Yo, were can in, i cuss yeah. And <laughs> yeah, right. then when you were in, yeah. chi- in chicago you worked at a record store in chicago yeah which was, one um well it's called reckless records i know reckless very well it, yeah oh yeah yeah so I did that, and then I worked at, um, oh, God, what was it called? Wow. Uh, shit. Anyway, I worked at another one that was also a venue, um, Reggie's Rock Club. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I did, like, the high-fidelity, single-guy, sort of moody, angsty, mid-20s thing, you know, in Chicago. So it was perfect. Yeah. Working at the records. <laughs> you, you always think like when you do that and I, I did the same you always think like it's like in the movies where girls are going to come in and just drop their pants because you're so <laughs> smart about music you know what I mean <laughs> it just doesn't yep. happen no, no. I, know. <laughs> I, I once had a girl tell me we were talking about ACDC and she was like uh, did you know they used to have a singer before the guy now I'm like okay you know you're rock and roll <laughs> you know <laughs> these kids get into the older music and my I think favorite Misfits song is Saturday Night <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hey, yep. hey. Oh man. All right. That's and funny. so from there you go from Chicago. That's when you come out here to LA. Yeah. Um, I got my heart broken and <laughs> Oops, after uh, all that. We should have the soundboard. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, my story is so like cliche in a way. Um, but yeah, uh, like nursing a horrible broken heart and I'm like, well, fuck it. I got to do something else. So, Moved to L.A. to do music PR with, like, a small boutique agency. Um, and that didn't work out in, like, spectacular blow-up <laughs> fashion. Uh, yes. It's just, I'm not going to say who she is, but we... Uh, anyway, it didn't work out. <laughs> like, we'll so, anyway, uh, I, started, yeah, I started 
but then I started working at another music venue. I lived in Echo Park, and basically in my backyard um, was uh, the Echo and the Echoplex, which mm-hmm. are nice. two really cool venues. Yeah. Um, that I would, I started doing security in, in between. You know, I was I signed up with another. I started working for another music PR agency, and then I was sort of moonlighting as a security guard and burning myself out in like spectacular fashion. What was the best show that you saw there? Um, I got to, I got to work green day when they did a surprise show. Oh, that wow. was fun. And, uh, the Rolling Stones did a, a warm up gig and I got to work that one too. Oh, that's, so, great. that's insane. That's cool. <laughs> that was fun. And like, even there was like a, a blimp flying around with like the stone lips that day. And it was like, I woke up and it was literally that secret that like our bosses didn't say anything. And we got the call, like, we were, like, FBI, like, undercover. They're like, Drew, come in. You work for Stones. And, you tell like, anyone, I'll like, fucking oh, kill you. Yeah. Seriously. yeah. So, then, oh, walking to work was so fun because, like, there were just lines of people just hoping to catch a glimpse or somehow yeah. get into the show. And the Echoplex only held, I think it was uh, 800 capacity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that was really wild. And, like, they brought out... Um, uh, I'm trying to think how to. It's, well, you know, in states, like Mick has like the long catwalk, you know, yeah. so he can go like strut and do his thing, you know. Um, so the capacity we had was like 400. <laughs> yeah, so his like catwalk stuck like halfway into the venue when normally, you know, it was just. So we had to help like construct that, and that was that was really cool. But yeah, the guys in and uh, they were. Oh God, I mean, I didn't say anything, but. Yeah, they're very, very kind gentlemen, you know. Just <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, they mostly just chilled in, like, their tour bus the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, because our green room was, like, kind of gnarly. I didn't, I think Keith would have loved our green room, but Mick would have been like, oh, fucking hell, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> not funny. <laughs> so- <clears throat> not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> As he struts off. Yeah, as he struts <laughs> off, yeah, with his knee pads on. Yeah. <laughs> Shaking his pee-pee. There you go. So, so how, how do you get in your head to write this book? I mean, is it just a collection over time? Like, this would be good, this would be good. Do you start it years ago, or is it just something right away? You're like, I'm going to do this now. Um, yeah, about uh, 2015, um, I moved. I left L.A., and uh, I moved to South Carolina, and uh, – it was like basically just needed a break and uh LA just got way too expensive and um you know things were just changing like you know the the uh, entertainment journalism industry is like constantly in a state of uh influx and like craziness it's always bad or like doom is always over the corner it's like oh we're switching to video pivot to video and like writers just had to scramble all over each other so anyway it was just getting stressful so i figured uh yeah let's let's start combining some of these uh bad gig stories that i'd worked on and um yeah and, and like i don't know there were some things i'd never done before like find an agent and um i actually hooked up with a really really good one um it's got david dunton who <coughs> works with um like a large majority of rock music journalist um so yeah i mean from there it was like you know we found a deal pretty quick and then um then my day was literally just googling um 
oh, I, uh, I don't know, um, Dolly Parton publicist. You know, sometimes they're hard as hell to track down. Yeah. So then I would just blast out every day, like, hey, my name's True Fortune, blah, blah, blah. Would you like to be a part of this? And then, and I guess that's why the book is so random in a sense, because uh, I literally didn't hold back. Like, I just threw shit and saw and wanted to see what would stick on the wall. And, um, yeah, uh, that's that's just kind of how it came about. It took... Um, I guess about a, about a year to uh, to do it once I really started in earnest. What what was there like a gnarly story that didn't make it because it was too bad? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Mm, no, I mean, dude, I I have Gigi Allen's brother in there. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. You know. That's why I ask. Were there were there any <laughs> stories uh, of shit. That, that shocked you? Yeah. Um, so. Uh, what's his name? Al Jorgensen from uh, Ministry. I knew he was crazy, but like not the extent of his craziness. Um, so his story, like one was just a funny one, like getting in a fight. Um, but then the other, he's like, all right, dude, like I've never told this story publicly. Like, all right, shit, man, let's, let's hear it. So it was the first Lollapalooza. Um, I think that bill was obviously Ministry, but then Ice Cube, uh, James Addiction, uh, you know, Ice T maybe. Um, I forget. But anyway, um, Ministry was headlining. <clears throat> and Al had like a, a very, he was a very practicing heroin addict at that point, like every day, multiple times a day. Um, so he, uh, wherever the first one was, the first Lollapalooza, it was somewhere in the Midwest. And he didn't have a connect that he knew. So he basically had to buy street drugs and um so he uh be right before they're about to go on they had about uh, 20 minutes before they were set to go on and uh he said i went to go do my just maintenance shot you know like he would just basically calm him down at that point he had such a habit but he said whatever this was it was at least like it was like fentanyl basically um and he's like i just collapsed backstage by myself (laughs) Um, and he's like, he's, he's like, I wasn't in a coma. He's like, I, I could see, but I couldn't speak or move. <clears throat> so, you know, they're set to go on. It's like, okay, where the hell's ministry? And then he's like, I remember, uh, the chili peppers. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm telling this right. Yeah. It was like the chili peppers and Pearl Jam. Um, he's like, all of a sudden they're just standing around me along with my band and, He's like, I can't explain myself. And they think I'm dead. Um, but uh, so it suddenly decided, it was suddenly decided that Pearl Jam sound guy was like, Hey, like I know all the ministry songs. And he kind of looked like Al. Um, so they put, a, yeah, they put a cowboy hat. He put Al's cowboy hat on the guy. Um, and then they just basically pushed him on stage and he performed the first three songs. Um, at which point Al had come to and he had walked to the side of the stage and he like, he's like, all right, man, let's switch out. And they <laughs> did it really quick. So if you were, if you were super paying attention, you would tell that they weren't wearing the same clothes. Al was like way taller than the guy, but he's like, as far as I know, no one ever knew wow. until I'm That's telling so you. That's so gnarly, man. So, yeah. The stunt double. Yeah. And that, <laughs> dude, nowadays you can just wheel them out there and then like let a track play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> So I contacted his like publicist right after. I'm like, 
okay, was he lying to me? Like, I Googled it, like, Al Collapsed. And nothing came up. She's like, oh, shit, man, I had never heard that. So we had to fact check it. And, I mean, all she had to do was ask Al, like, did you tell Drew this, like, crazy Lollapalooza story? He's like, yeah, man, yep. So that, that one I was not expecting. I was honestly, like, shocked. Yeah, Whoa, that's, that's serious behavior. That- that is great. And you, you bring up a good point. Like you have to fact check this stuff. So, I mean, because I'm sure, you know, you read those like kiss interviews and they're always bullshitting and everything's bigger than it is. So right. all of these are, are, are fact checked. These are the actual stories. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, like I would send in the transcript and be like, okay, is there anything you like that you want to take out or isn't true in retrospect, looking back? And they're like, no, man, it's all good. I'll, I will tell you one that I didn't include but it was because of personal politics. Um, this would have been about four years ago. I didn't realize what like a hardcore gun toting Republican um, Ted Nugent was like, you didn't, I knew he was, no, 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 I knew he was that, but I didn't understand that he was like completely despicable in his beliefs and like rhetoric. Um, so I interviewed him and then like, he starts going off on like um, Parkland shooting is a hoax or something jesus i'm like oh fuck you dude so i just never transcribed that one wow that's what he led with (laughs) (laughs) no he was such a dork though he's like oh i can't really do a ted impersonation he's like yeah drew your uncle ted's got you your uncle ted's got you (laughs) like he kept saying like referring to himself as uncle ted and like it's just weird. <laughs> you know, not not that I'm fixated on it, but I mean, I have a couple. Of, I can't say their names, but one was a female, and and she was playing, and they were they were opening. She played bass, and they did not expect the encore, right? And mm-hmm. she ran off stage. The dressing room was upstairs, and we're like, "Fuck, you're getting an encore. Get down there." She had to shit, so she ended up shitting her pants on stage Woo! while playing no. the encore. And that's happened, oh. yeah. And that happened to another, a very famous drummer that I can't, cannot say his name, but in Japan, and um, he was complaining the whole time, the whole time, the whole time, and then he ate some bad, uh, I think, sushi there, oh. and ended up shitting his pants yeah. on stage. So good for him. But that happens more than you yeah. want to know about. Yeah, I had to take a poop break during one of our shows. Yeah, see, <laughs> in the there you of go. The set. It happens, man. <laughs> It's just one of those oh, things that, people wow. don't talk about, but it's real life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had a real funny story. No, I can't tell this. Yeah, do it. Come please. on, man. Come on now. <laughs> okay. All right. It wasn't. Okay. So it was my cousin who will remain nameless. And we were 16. And the backdrop was it was like my parents would every go to this like lawyer retreat. And then we would hang out with the same kids every summer because that's just how it happened. So you're 16, there's, you know, we're all crazy for the girls and like we're hooking up with certain girls and, you know, we're partnered off. But so anyway, we're all taking this bus that was organized by the parents or whatever to take us to Universal Studios. And at that point, you know, you're nervous as hell, like 15 year olds kind of experimenting with sex for the first time, and, you know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's all, I was like eight years old. <laughs> I was nine. Take it oh, easy. Right. I was nine. Jeez, yeah. Anyway, Drew, right. go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. It's too good. So, you know, we're in tight quarters on a bus, and all of a sudden my cousin's like, dude, don't fucking move. Like, I'm <laughs> my like we had had like. Oh my God. Yeah. 
we had had, uh, I remember, like, Mexican food for lunch before we left, and oh. it just hit him crazy. And he's like, whatever you do, don't get up. I can't. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I got you. I got you. Um, so, of course, it's like the girls are, like, hanging over the seats, like, oh, my God, what are you guys doing? Like, blah, blah, blah. why aren't you coming to talk to us? And, like, <laughs> we couldn't. We couldn't think of an excuse. It was oh. like, we didn't have books and phones back then. It was just like, nope, you can't get up. <laughs> um, anyway, like, he waits for everyone to get off the bus, and he he comes last. Um, and, again, this thing was, like, supervised because we were kids. And he darted off, poop, poop, poopy pants and all. Poop trail. Um, started um, off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, to a, gift, to a gift shop and bought, like, some ridiculous, like, Universal Studios like shorts oh. that looked so odd and he couldn't explain <laughs> why he had changed so suddenly. It was just like oh. you want to be more nope. aerodynamic. <laughs> Dude, that's yeah, the, right. I'm, I've never heard right. a bad yeah. poop story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> no, he's like, oh, well, I don't know. If there's gonna be water rides, I don't want to get my pants wet. Oh, <laughs> let's see. He's a pro. Smooth, yeah. smooth. Sounds like it's happened to him before. If it happened but, before, oh, he would man. have shorts under. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I haven't done that since I was like real one. Quick, real quick, <laughs> uh, so people have asked, like, well, what's your personal worst gig? I'm not a musician, but, you know, I worked in numerous venues. <clears throat> so one was, um, well, the worst for me, it was, uh, we had this thing called um, Power of the Rift, like uh, a like heavy black metal festival in LA at the Echoplex every summer. And, they always did it on like the hottest goddamn weekend of the year, like July 10th through the 13th. <clears throat> so it's just a hectic weekend with a bunch of metalheads, you know, partying su- like super hard all weekend. Um, so Friday I'm, I'm working and um, I'm working upstairs. So the echo was above the echo plex and there was like some Russian um, black metal band on like, you know, just that <laughs> right. I'm trying to do burzum, but you know what I mean, like that yeah. high pitched witch shrieking. And then at the end, um, the guy, the lead singer, just started pounding his like his mouth and his forehead with the mic, like beating the shit out of himself to, to the point where he was super bloody. And that was like the big finale. Um, but this was like a 3 p.m. show before anything had even started, really. So Jesus. he did it for like 30 metalheads. Like, this is right, just man, sound you know? check. <laughs> yeah, like, just, he just went ace shit. So, uh, and then he runs backstage and then immediately dove his bald, bleeding head into our only working ice machine on that floor. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, he that... contaminated our whole ice system oh, on the hottest shit. day. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, my whole job, I'm like, well, I was like right there when he did it. I'm like, dude, you can't do that. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. Like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, everybody Irish, got COVID. Guess, but... <laughs> yeah, like, I was yeah, bleeding. You, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so my job that whole weekend was to haul heavy ass buckets of ice up two flights of stairs um, to give ice to the bar upstairs. Yeah, just constantly. Was, Cause yeah, it, it does yeah. get very uh, hot there. Oh boy. Yep. So now that, you know, we're in COVID, like, does that change what you do? It's changed the world for everybody. I mean, we're not on tour. We're not able to do what we usually right. do. I mean, for you, 
you know, writing, you can kind of pick up a pen anytime and, and start something, but has it, have you noticed an effect on what you do? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, um, at least, uh, like I was writing very heavily for Vanity Fair until like last May. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically went on a freelancer freeze like that quick, like, boom. Yeah. And like, I had j- literally just interviewed the Beastie Boys and Spike Jones for them. Like, and it did real well. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh no, we can't <laughs> like, we're basically done. Uh, so that sucked. And yeah, it's all just because, you know, ad revenue is drying up and all that stuff. And, um, so yeah, it's been, it's definitely been hard in that regard. Um, but, um, yeah, like, I don't know, I'm working on a second movie script script. I wrote with a buddy. Um, the movie came out in December, so that's been kind of fun. And, um, yeah, you know, like I just did, I've been doing these things called uh, wakes for Vulture and New York Magazine. Mm-hmm. So when someone dies, it's basically like an Irish wake. I, I assemble interviews of like um, their collaborators, their friends, their family, if they're willing to speak. So I've done one for Daniel Johnston, uh, John Prine, oh, wow. uh, Toots Herbert from Toots and the Maytals when he died. Mm-hmm. And I just did one on, I just did one on MF Doom. Uh, the masked rapper, you know? Yep. yep. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like you just got to be creative and find new avenues to do essentially what you still do, but just in a different kind of way, you know? Yeah. So, so as a freelance, and I, I mean, I hear that term, you hear that term all the time, but is it different? Like, do they tell you what they want written or do you, you have something already done and you come to them like, I have this piece? <clears throat> um, I pitch before I ever start doing anything. Okay. Yeah. And that's usually the way it happens. I'm sorry for my ignorance. I just, I've always wondered. No, no. Yeah. I I think there's people who will write stuff and then just try pitching like the New York times or something, um, like an opinion piece. Um, but no, I mean, you could just be caught with your pants down if you tried that. It's like, well, shit, I just busted my ass on this thing and nobody wants it, you know? Yeah. Um, But so yeah, you get you get pretty close with your editors, and you know you kind of know what they like from you and things like that. Yeah, because I, I grew up. We talk about on here. I I grew up. Everyone grew up with different. You know, some people with AP. I grew up with Cream Magazine, so oh, well, those guys yeah. were always just you know. I mean, it's just always poignant, but it was also you know very poison. The pen was very poison at times, and it was great. You know what I mean? It was funny, and it sure. and it took the rock star out of the rock star, which I loved. Yeah. Did you watch that Cream doc? Boy, howdy, that came out. I did, I did, and then yeah. Keelan got me a shirt and a whole package from there. So thank you, Keelan. But yeah, that was my shit oh. growing up. I'm actually from Detroit, and you know, and the Midwest. I grew up in Cleveland, but Cream Magazine was everything when I was a little kid. So mm, nice, man. Yeah, I wish I could have grown up with Cream. I like, I just missed it, you know. Yeah. So, so growing up, like, what did you read? Like, was it Rolling Stone and stuff like that? Like, what led you to want to be a writer? <clears throat> um. Roald Dahl and Stephen King, man. Yeah. I was, I, oh man, I read everything that Stephen King had done up to that point. Like when I was way too young to be really like reading Gerald's Game, for instance, or something at like age, you know, in class. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where I wanted to be a fiction writer originally. And then, um, then it was like, yeah, Entertainment Weekly. I was like, dude, if I could just review movies for a living, shit, that would be the life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wanted to be like Roger Ebert, you know, do that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, 
you know, again, you're, you're scrabbling with like so many people over so few positions, you know? Um, but yeah, that was sort of my upbringing and, uh, I'm just a total film nerd to be honest. And, you know, music was always important to me, but I just, I guess I started out doing music for stop smiling and then I didn't branch out into other stuff until I moved to LA and started. Then I was just have easy access to, celebrities you know to do like in-person interviews back then so yeah that's kind of when i made that switch yeah so when it comes to your your movies and your films like what what's the style like what's the movie that just came out in december um it's called beast mode and uh it stars c thomas howell wow james uh james duvall from like um independence day donnie darko uh leslie easterbrook from police academy uh, we got like this great, oh, Ray Wise from Twin Peaks is in it. Oh, we got a go. nice, yeah. Um, so that was, I, I wrote it with my buddy, um, and it took us about seven years to get the whole thing done. Wow. Um, like financing fell through halfway through. Uh, it was just kind of a nightmare, especially for Spain, my co writer and co director, um, because I just wanted to write a screenplay. I, I, hell, I wasn't going to try and finance it, but man, I mean, he, it's his baby, to be honest. Um, it turned out pretty fun. I mean, it's just, a, it's a crazy horror comedy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> about this magical cream, well, magical flower from, uh, South America, where if you extract it, if you're pure of heart and a good person, it will, it will heal your, your exterior wounds. Like, it's it's like a magic makeup, but if you're bad on the inside, you turn into a beast. So it makes its way to Hollywood as like a special makeup cream, but everyone in Hollywood is like an asshole. So beasts run amok, essentially. Oh, I love that. Wow. I I think right now, <laughs> like films is the the one true place you can still break the rules and people care. You know what I mean? Like in music, yeah, everyone's done everything, so nothing. Nothing shocking anymore, to quote Jane's addiction. But you know what I mean. Every, yeah. I mean, actually, after the plasmatics, nothing was ever shocking after that. Mm-hmm. But in movies, you can still <laughs> do it. You can still really shock people. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I'm not like really into it, but graphic novels and manga—they're mm-hmm. doing some gnarly shit. Like some of the gnarliest shit I've ever seen. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think but, a lot yeah, of that just, anime well, stuff is getting a little crazy right now. <laughs> yeah. Right, I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. But no, I've I seen some don't. of it. Yeah, like tentacle porn and shit. I'm like, well, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the deal with that, Ike? <laughs> I don't know. That I don't know. I am kind of a yeah. Owner, I gotta though. claim ignorance. Yeah. But my <laughs> right. new my plead new, the fifth. Yeah, my new screenplay. It's pretty fun. Do uh, you guys know Cat Corbett from um, yep. K Rock? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, she's my co-writer, and we're writing this. Um, it's basically like American Idol meets Battle Royale, essentially. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, so we're having fun with that. So she's take she's and taking her locals only to the next level, and you have to fight it out <laughs> to get airplay. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Celebrity deathmatch. <laughs> but it's cool because it's like we can just both bring our like horror stories of the industry together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, where it's like these kids have to, yeah, uh, battle battle off the island and sell their souls essentially to win. Um, and you'll see what happens, maybe in a year, hopefully. 
<laughs> yeah. Just put Jimmy Iovine in there as the devil. Oh God, yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Sounds basically like what happens with major labels. You know what I mean? When you gotta basically fight to the death to get that deal, and then they steal yep. your soul anyway. So that's great. So how'd you work with? You how, how, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. So how did you get uh, hooked up with Cap? Well, I started, <clears throat> excuse me, I started writing it um, with a friend of mine from Chicago, and our our schedules just couldn't really mesh because I'm here, she's in LA, and just doing different, just vastly different schedules. So I just knew Cat as a Facebook friend, and uh, I just hit her up out of the blue because I noticed that she's she had been working on screenplays and um, writing short stories. And I just came at her with the, with the idea and um, yeah, we made it official. I don't know. We kind of had to see if our ideas would mesh and it's uh, yeah, it's been great. We just really clicked and uh, it's been going really smooth. So it's fun. It's a lot of fun and it's going to be fucking crazy. Like my ideas for Gore, like she's all like, let's, take that to 11 i'm like fuck yeah dude oh nice nice have you ever met yeah. in person or did you guys do this whole thing through social media yeah no never met in person which is weird but unbelievable you know, we we that are uh, you know as we write so you don't really need it no it's, it's unbelievable <laughs> contact is outdated yeah, yeah right <laughs> as you could tell this last year i think facebook's gonna mm-hmm. take off <laughs> facebook. yeah those, i think they got something figured out yeah. over there <laughs> Well, hey guys, I gotta I gotta run in a little bit. Um, do you got, is there anything else that you you want that you need that I haven't answered yet? No, man. We appreciate your time, and uh, it was great meeting you. And uh, your book is awesome. Can't wait for more. Can't wait to see the movie you guys made. Yeah, I think this was really great. And the concept for the book is so awesome. cool too, because like you mentioned, you know, it, it's a lot easier to talk about the 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 horrible things that happened than you know. The nice cushy happy stuff <laughs> exactly yeah. and do you guys all have copies or is there anyone who needs a copy yeah we have one here in the office right now okay right on well thanks cool. so much drew take care oh yeah thank you guys for having me on Thanks. have a good one all right take care Bye.